Episode 42 of Doc Fermento Discovers the World. Today I am pleased to play for you another conversation I had with Father Anthony Perkins. Get links and other notes at askbrian.com slash the podcast slash 42. I have a great fondness, a love for Father Perkins. I really do. Now, please, support this show. I have two sponsors. If you're like all my other listeners, you'll want to get a free audiobook. Go to askbrian.com slash audible. If you have an oppositional or defiant teenager, or would like to prevent getting such a teenager, go to needhelpparenting.com. That's it. Hope you enjoy this conversation with my good friend, Father Anthony Perkins, as much as I did. Thank you all. Hey, Brian. Hello, Father Perkins. Hey, man, I was just, I've been listening to you. Your your podcasts are rocking. You think so? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, man. And I've just um, I'm almost done with the ones from the uh, oh, what is it? The ancestral AHS, help. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I thought those might be a problem. Um, you know, I do make a huge mistake. I don't I don't explain things. I think everyone knows. What I know, because I don't think I'm smarter than anybody else. Do, yeah. do you understand what I'm saying? Like, I do. Yeah. I do a very poor job of setting up. I don't Who even I, know if I say what the heck AHS you, is. You know, they, um, they, they've got it. Okay. I, I can pretty much guarantee you. Yeah. I, and, and by the way, just so you're warned, um, you know, I'm, I'm from Georgia, too. <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, There's a whole Georgia contingent. Then I've got that's uh, right. yep. two Georgia of them in our paleo, paleo posse. So <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I was just um, doing a little reading. My favorite professor, Professor Drought, he has a series called Away with Words, and um, he talks. He has got a lecture on rhetoric. Yeah, and one of them, one of the subjects he talks about is your audience. And it's been very, I mean, I, I didn't seek out to learn anything about rhetoric, but I'm glad that I, uh, by chance, listened to it, because he actually talks about how you talk to your audience. Yeah. It's very interesting stuff. It's really important, too. Um, right. Because yeah. it's and politics, of, and it's everything. Oh, it sure is. And, you know, some people do it automatically, right? I mean, there are people who are just born with uh, intuiting you know, how to work a crowd, how to, how to teach. Yeah. He gives, to, sometimes, you mm-hmm. know, the darker side is how to manipulate. <laughs> yep. He covers that too. And he said, you know, he points out uh, one of the greatest uh, speakers ever, Martin Luther King Jr. Amen. Is a, the master yeah. of um, rhetoric and argument and logical arguments. And, and he actually you know who shows else you. Is really good mm-hmm. is, uh, is Bill Clinton. I'm reminded because he was just on what last night, the night before. Or something. Right, I, I don't and, watch, so yeah. No, I don't watch it either. But mm. he he connects with people, you know. So what I was doing was following it just a little bit on my Twitter stream, uh-huh. and I was watching people's comments. Yeah, and I thought it was very funny to see how they say how. Um, yeah, they mentioned the same thing. This idea that 
you know, he doesn't talk down to us. He he's a one of us. He he gets it. He he gets it. You know, he <laughs> yeah, feels he basically like that old uh, thing, right? You know, I feel your pain, kind of, right. kind of yeah, thing. But it well, works. <laughs> it's not. It's people. You know what happens is the right wing spins it and says that he's coddling you and he's co- You know, he he's babying you. But actually, all that is is that's the the enthymeme. That's the thing that we can all agree on. That's how you start an argument. So to start an argument, you get everyone in the room to agree with you. Then you can proceed with your argument. You have to have a place to launch from. Right. That's and why there's no good. In. That's why. That's right. That's why there's no good debate on abortion, because the two sides do not have an enthymeme which with to move forward. They're so diametrically opposed, there is no argument because there's nowhere to start. Real people, you know, who already have built up this relationship of trust. Mm -hmm. And that's, I think that's a good test of their, um, you know, like friendship or relationship is whether all of a sudden they just write the person off. Yeah. Because that person expresses an attitude that's in the other category. Right. Right. Right, but yeah, you know, I mean, I've studied a lot of this stuff as as a political scientist and then as a um, intel guy. Like when you look at recruiting for extremist groups, mm-hmm. it's not the ideology. The ideology comes later. Mm-hmm. The thing that you build up first is you build up that uh, that I don't I remember what you call it, but the empathy, the the connection. Yeah, mm-hmm. and then once people are part of your you know group. It's- yeah. Then you can bring them in with the other stuff. Yeah. But it's it's that scary. thing that we can all agree with. Yeah, yeah. We will all agree that we enjoy life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And you know, without these, we can't have a democratic republic. And everyone in the room oh. is cheering. And I'm willing to say there's something even that, that's even kind of in a way deeper or at least separate from the words. So you're, you're coming up with this co- common idea that they share. But there's also just the... Um, most people, I would argue, have a, um, you know, a sense of empathy. And once someone has triggered that, you know, through dopamine or whatever the response is, uh, and then you can reinforce it with these common messages and then move on. You know, yeah. it's just, it's really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah, especially like what you're saying, it's for evil, for evildoers, it, it, yeah. it seems to be even easier for them. Uh, it, it is because yeah. it's a it's an easier sell for some reason. Yeah. Um, well, they don't. There aren't the moral concerns, right? It's all right. you know the the ends justify the means. So the fact that I'm manipulating you, that's no, never mind. Yeah, and especially when you're when you're acting reactionary, you can be swifter and get yourself involved, and it's too late to back out. Whereas doing causes for good, you know. It's proactive. It's it's a completely different behavior, and yeah. it, it's harder to start. And but yeah, being reactionary, uh, <laughs> getting gullible people to to do your bidding is oh, it's yeah. pretty easy. Yeah, it is. And you know, hate, discontent, those are easy things to play on too. And uh, you know, <laughs> I promise to use my powers only for good. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I told you I used to be an interrogator. Really? And, I didn't. Yeah, I don't. That think was my I first that. job in the army. So, so I went to college, you know, right out of high school. What a waste, you know. And so I go off to the University of Georgia, and I was pre med because I don't know why. 
mm-hmm. and they just try to weed you out, and they did. <laughs> so after two years, I, I left. I was like, man, I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting money. This is no good. And I joined the Army. Mm-hmm. I joined the Army Reserves and uh, became an interrogator. So for a year, I went to Russian school, which was really useful because it taught me how to study and you know, kind of self-discipline and stuff. But then I went to interrogator school, and all that was was three or four months of psychology. You know, how mm-hmm. to um, build rapport, mainly. You know, it's, it was nothing about oh, <laughs> using pain or build rapport kind of for interrogation? Right. Well, yeah. So, right, because <laughs> the assumption is, because we're Americans, that we're on the right side. So, remember, sure. this is during the Cold War when things were <laughs> more black and white, right? <laughs> so, what you're doing is, is you're basically saying, look, you know, the war is over for you. Um, and this is why, kind of why it's a good idea for you to trust me and to, uh-huh. to talk to me about mm-hmm. these things. And again, it's the psychology of it is more important than the, the argumentation, which is, you know, one of the reasons why, why threats aren't, aren't effective, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but, and I'm convinced, I, no one can convince me otherwise, really, that um, by far the, the best way to get information out of somebody is to be good to them. <laughs> whether yeah. they deserve it or not just be good to them and, and hurting people I mean not only does it ruin your own credibility and your own soul I believe you know it uh, it's kind of productive but that's kind of a rabbit hole there <laughs> oh no that's good stuff it's interesting I wouldn't have any yeah. idea yeah but all so, I know is from the movies right right well no seriously and um, you know I'm not an apologist for the army or anything, but the interrogator school, it was all above board. They, there was, they, they taught us all the Geneva conventions and stuff. They said, look, this is a limit. This is what you can do. You don't go anywhere near this limit. You know, Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, I mean, hurting people is just way out of bounds, way out. Um, and you know, maybe at some point, if you ever want to talk about my opinions on things like Abu Ghraib, I'll, I'll share them with you, but it wasn't, from army training it was from you know other things breakdowns of of discipline training just you know ugly situations and so on yeah yeah i i'm not that familiar with it um i'm trying to even remember what what that story was it was awful that was the thing the one with the pictures of them um making humiliating their prisoners and things yeah yeah okay all right just awful. You yeah, know, obviously, they, this isn't the standard operating procedure. This is just rogue behavior. They probably didn't have proper supervision. Yeah, and I'm not saying it's, kid, it's kids being kids either. No, I'm, no, no. This is different. It's um. You ever see the psychological experiments that were done where they? Oh yeah, the the oh the, yeah, the, one. the prisoners. They just <laughs> took regular college students and they they were actually abusing right. their fellow students. And our assumption is, oh, I'd never do that, you know, mm-hmm. but. Psychology is funny. Unless you are hyper-intentional in all of your actions and you're able to, to step outside of the local hegemony, you know, the, the cultural you know, norms being demonstrated for you, uh, you're going to re- repeat the behavior. Like mm-hmm. there's amazing studies. Like some of, there's that one where the, the – I think it was the Milgrain study where they shocked people. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the Milgrain. Mm-hmm. Replicated so many times. Like the one where uh, if – you know, you have someone on the sidewalk who distress is acting like they're in serious distress. Uh, the size of the crowd determines the reaction of the individual people. 
right? So if it's a crowded sidewalk, mm-hmm. people just keep walking by. Just keep walking. If it's um, a handful of people still, um, it's only when it gets down to one or two people that uh, the person will be, you know, tempted to be human <laughs> and, yeah. and go somebody. And they even did this study. Oh, I, I can't remember. I can't cite it. I'm sorry about that for your listeners. I, I can find it if I need to, to, to back it up. But they even did this among, they, they tried to use uh, like religious prompts. So there's this idea that you can uh, prep people and that the way you prep them determines how they will react to things. And that's a pretty strong, there's like a survey effect. If you want to get a positive answer to one certain response and you set up the questions before it in a certain way, right? Mm-hmm. They would prep these people with stories like the Good Samaritan and things like this. And then they would send them out on that experiment unbeknownst to them. Same exact same thing, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, you really do have to be hyper-intentional. And I, I think we have to. I mean, in so many ways. I mean, we, you and I are both into into. You know, real food and, and how we've just bought into a lie and how hard it is to, to wake up from that. Right. But yeah. it's mm-hmm. parts of this world. It's just, you know, it's broken. Oh, <laughs> uh, well. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. Um, it's so funny. You know, there's part of me that just so is so thankful for having a, at least a minor awakening, you know, with the yeah. food from the food angle. But then there's a part of me that's like, I don't even, I, I'm tired of thinking about all these things. Like, <laughs> Yeah, why, why didn't I take the green pill? <laughs> exactly. And, yeah. Yeah, but you can't, you know, because now all of a sudden, you know, there's almost a responsibility. Yeah, it's like the internet awesome. meme, um, what's been seen can't be unseen. <laughs> yeah, until we get that thing, you know. <laughs> There was a study about six months ago. Scientists were supposedly close to being able to eliminate negative memories. What? Yeah, and it was an exaggeration. You know, it was one of those. I was going to say that sounds like an Onion article. Right. Well, no, it wasn't. It was. It was. You know, from a a popular site, but it had taken a study and then just given it a sexy title. Oh, exactly. Okay. Yeah, which is pretty much what they always do. But once we have that, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Anyways, fortunately, the brain's so complex. We'll we'll never we're not going to get there. That's boy, we got to hope so, don't we? Yeah, I'm I'm becoming less and less a believer in this emergence you? of technology as well. The singularity idea. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think that's slipping further and further into the future. <laughs> kind of like with the flying cars, right? Yeah, exactly. I think it's yeah, it's the red scare. upload his brain right (laughs) i mean it's just not going to happen in time no no, uh -uh. by the way do you watch fringe no No, heard of it tv show right yeah 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 it's kind of fun it deals with with the kind of stuff that that i'm into you know paranormal and and how most of the paranormal stuff is really just technology that we don't quite get but anyways, say, yeah. Well, say it again. Well, um, so in Fringe, you've got it's kind of like X Files in the sense that you've got all these weird phenomena going on, right? But the mechanism behind it really is science, and mostly it has to do with the multiple worlds, um, a 
multiple worlds situation. Uh, that's their reality. Yeah. 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 And, and there's been an event where, um, there was a hole made that kind of brought the two universes together. And it's kind of like one of those Donnie Darko situations where one of them is going to cease, but, um, they're trying to make it work. And it looks like there's kind of going to be a blending of the, the two universes into one. I like that. That's pretty cool. I, I, yeah. I love that Donnie Darko movie too. That was awesome. So cool. Unexpected. Yeah, yeah, it had a quietness to it in parts that I always appreciate movies that know how to use silence. Yeah. And quietness, even in, especially when it's backwards, when things should be super loud. And instead you focus on the quiet parts, you know, like when the plane crashes through and showing the chandelier shake. It's just, I love that. There's, the movie was pretty brilliant. Yeah. On I, many levels, the story plus the way it was filmed and directed and edited put together uh, quite a masterpiece, really. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. What other movies do you really like? Oh, boy. Um, in, that, in that world there, because, you know, now I'm just all hooked on food documentaries the past three years. But um, <laughs> I'm having trouble concentrating because the neighbor's dog's barking. Oh, I don't even hear it. I'm, I get know, very, very, very easily distracted. Yeah. And I a, get, have an anger oh. thing, too. Like, I want to go over there and just take it to the pound, because they don't deserve to have a dog. But, um, movies. We talked about The Matrix before. Yeah. That's one of my all-time favorite movies. Yeah. Okay. But my favorite movies, actually, are... I'm trying to get back to this. There's a director named Vim Vendors. It's spelled W-I-M, and then... Vendors is W-E-N-D-E-R-S. He's German. Okay. He's got these movies, um, Wings of Desire, and then the second part of it was Far Away So Close. Those are the two best movies ever made. Great. I have something to look forward to. There is a director, Christoph Kislowski. I think he was Polish. I'm not... Sure, I'm not exactly on that. Exactly right on that. He died rather young. I think he actually started making movies late and then died young. So, very short span. Only made a few films, and they're very excellent. They're very dark though, and a little bit strange, um, but nothing awful. Not like David Cronenberg or anything. Mm-hmm. So Christoph Kislowski, he's got a trilogy called Red, White, Blue. Um, that's pretty good. Um, Vim Vendors. David Lynch, of course, is probably my, you know, one of my top five filmmakers. Yeah. And how about and Tarantino? No, like I'm not. I'm not into that. No, yeah. I mean, I had some. I had a, a fun romp with you know Pulp Fiction and that back when I, in my youth, but I wouldn't watch it again today. I yeah, it doesn't interest me. Yeah. Um. And I know there's another one that's huge to me, and I'm, it's escaping me right now. But no. oh, like Paris, Texas. But that's a. Um, it's been so long since I thought about this stuff. I think yeah. that's a Vim Vendor's film, Paris, Texas. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah. So it's him again. There you go. Yeah. Yeah, and I haven't seen that one either. No, Paris, Texas is awesome. Uh yeah. I just get imagery. I mean, some these these movies implant like whole sequences in my head. You know. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, that's um, one of the cool things about, you know, it's not just films, it's music, right? So you'll, you'll hear some music and it'll 
it resonates with every other time you heard that music. Right? So, yeah. it, like and, its association you know, with memory? Yeah. Well, and not, you know, is it just with memory or is it somehow with time? <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? And I don't know. I mean, it's, it's easier to explain just, just with memory. And we, we certainly, you know, can't explain it completely chemically that way, I'm sure. I right? think the even more powerful one is smell. Yeah. Smell yeah. is strongly associated with memory. I mean, how many times have you heard someone say it smells like grandma's house and they're like, yeah. they go back in time, like in front of your eyes. I know if I fry peppers, Hungarian peppers in oil, uh-huh. and then my wife walks in, it's just a standard joke. Oh, it smells like grandma's. You know, <laughs> it's just, and it's, it, I could, and it may sound weird, but I could, I could make the house smell like no other thing to put my wife at ease than to fry some peppers. Right. Because when she walks in, it's, oh, this is grandma's house, you know? (laughs) Right. And so back to to the earlier part of our conversation, you know, is it manipulative if you do that? (laughs) <laughs> right you know you you know you, you talk to her you know she's had a hard day so you yeah. say look i'm uh, you know i'm gonna do something special right. yeah. <laughs> we, my wife and i we did a something that was kind of funny um you know the the guy who does the um mars and venus stuff right you know it's just your basic pop psychology yeah right gray that's his name gray and we listened to an interview with him on one of our trips you know on a podcast and uh he was describing the the ways that you could make your you know in this case husband or wife um, really like being with you mm-hmm. right you know like bring back the romance and all that kind mm-hmm. of stuff and you know there were simple things you know for men hey help out you know right. communicate communication <laughs> you know that sure. kind of stuff yep. you know for women tell tell the man that you're proud of him you know just basic psychology stuff yeah so. We did it, and we did it in a way that we were being, you know, we were, we were making fun making of ourselves. Making fun of it, you're right. Right, but it worked. It still worked. <laughs> it still worked. Yeah, I mean, it's your ego, you know? If you tell a yeah. man, oh, you're, so, you're so strong and supportive and whatever, you know, it works. It just yeah. does. Yeah. So, so do we fight but, it, or do we use it? Oh, you got to use it. Yeah. But you got to so. be careful. I mean... As long as you have a good heart, right? Yeah, even that... That guy there that wrote those books, like him, that chicken soup guy, you know, chicken soup for the soul. I know those, yeah, the series. Yes, yeah, stay away from those people. They're a bunch of manipulative jerks. Oh, man, they're all part of like a, a larger. Well, I'm not going to call it a cult, but it nearly oh. is. There's a whole team of these people. It's Anthony Robbins, the chicken soup guy, the Mars Venus dude. The Susie Ormonds, the it's just this modern uh, era of self-help gurus. Oh, is this like the secret and stuff like that too? All of that is tied in as well. So all these are actually equal, and they're all they're equally bad. Wow! And it all has to do with, um, well, you kind of put it on this. It's the belief in self, um, the overhype of self. Is is kind of evil. Amen, brother. You were talking about that with your um, with the author of Life Inc. Yeah, I'm that's sorry, where I, I learned that from. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great interview. And yeah. and the point about how you know some some really good things came out of the the Reformation. 
right? But one of the things that the West really went crazy with was individualism. Yeah, empowerment nearly, or maybe it did, backfire. Yeah. There's something about humans. um, Once they learned about self, the self, they turn into bad selves. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And yeah, take it too far. Yeah, so this whole the, all these self help gurus, it, it's it's not it's not good for anything except the self help gurus. Oh, they're awful. Yeah. They're awful. And and you know, I, I you get these big congregations of people who are convinced that if they're poor, it's because you know they're not good enough or they're not praying hard enough. And you know, and there's a sense of expectancy that you know if I just pray right or if I just you know live right, I'm going to become rich or something like that. You know, it's it's. Um, it's it's so bizarre. Yeah, but it's the same, you know, and I I kind of see the same thing in this um diet paleosphere, the blogosphere yeah. that I'm involved in. Uh-huh. You get a lot of um a lot of strange personalities involved, uh misguided efforts. People really down on themselves when they fail. Oh, blaming yeah. diets for non-results and things and it's very peculiar just to kind of take a step back and look at the whole psychology of all the behaviors and things. But Yeah, so, you know, we really need healers, right? We need people who, you know, they, they might come to the healer and they might say, you know, oh, I'm fat, <laughs> you know, or I, I just tried to diet and it didn't work. But that healer would be able to, to look into, you know, get to know them and, and recognize that, you know, that wasn't, that's not the fundamental thing. That's like the smoke. You can clear away the smoke, but there's still something underneath that has to be taken care of. But we don't we don't develop that. We don't foster that. It's you were funny. talking with uh, a couple of podcasts ago about how we've you know we've really lost this sense of um, of elders as people who have wisdom. Oh, right? for sure. Because we don't yeah. have wisdom. I mean, I'm 44, mm-hmm. right? I got nothing. Yeah, uh, I don't even. And you would be an awesome example as far as someone who does know something uh, I'm right. referring so, yeah, to actually in the world of, of 60 uh, year olds, <laughs> especially it's, it's pretty bad. Um, yeah. they don't know yeah. how to eat. They don't, it's, it's just bad. And they're in really bad health. And I know I'm speaking in very, very, very general terms, oh, but sure. it's just a fact f- just from what I've seen and the information they pass along is horrible. Look at anyone trying to get healthy in the paleo lifestyle, and they fight tooth and nail against their parents and grandparents. Yeah. Uh, and the funny thing is, the younger people are the ones promoting the more traditional foods. And the <laughs> older people are tied to corporate fake yeah. garbage. It's, yeah. it's amazing. Um, it's actually a, it's a positive thing. Going well, forward. yeah, and you have a you know this this con- conversion cycle, right? So you like if you look, I mean, we're familiar with it from studying American history, right? The Pilgrims come over, they got this religious fervor. By the third generation, <laughs> nobody's interested, right? Mm-hmm. So think about um, oh, Betty Crocker, right? That that whole revolution, boxed food, and all this kind of stuff, and man, they just bought into it, right? Yeah. But it's wearing off. We're like, no, yeah. man, this this doesn't work. Yeah. I guess, yeah, I guess someone who spoke at the AHS spoke about how this paleo movement has happened before. It happened in the, oh, I don't remember the time or the name of it right now. Uh, I'm really drawing a blank because I wasn't there. I just happened to read about it. Yeah. But there was a self, 
science experimentation food movement that happened about a, less than a century ago. Huh. I forget what it's called. But it's a, it was a very similar movement. And it was about, uh, you know, physical activity and nutrition. And he said this happened... This, this, we're just repeating ourselves. This has already yeah. happened. We think we're doing something new and profound, and, and, and you we're know, just we repeating. we like to think that because we have science now, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I mean, we're so arrogant. We have science now, and we really do have better science than we did before. We have better instruments. We have a larger scientific community and, and scientific and Better tools way of for measurement. And, right, and, sure. it's, and it's, you, you know, you and I, we can talk about science, right? I mean, we're just, we're just go schmucks, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, but but we, we can think this way we can look at a research paper and say ah you know that's not that's a biased sample or whatever right um we like to think that no that's going to stick this time because we can explain the mechanisms of you know down to the the chemical level of why this diet is the best yeah and we'll still end up reverting and letting we it sure go will after oh, 20 man. years it's not yeah. that's why you know they blame everything as being a fad paleo is a fad okay that does not it, it, it's a logical fallacy to call it a fad and then claim that it does not work. It can be a fad and be extremely effective. You got so it. So people will make up the, they'll use the word fad to defend themselves why they're not following it. I'm not going to follow paleo because it's a fad. <laughs> yeah. And yet, it's a logical fallacy because it could restore your health, prevent That's you right. from getting a disease. And yet you won't do it because it's fad? A f- yeah, a society's acceptance of a thing has nothing to do with its validity or, or its utility. And what's going on anyways when we're all a bunch of followers? Everyone <laughs> loves the popular thing, except when it comes to health, nutrition, and physical endurance, and exercise, and health. Then everyone's counterculture, like all of a sudden. We're all a bunch of lemmings, and we all love the same thing garbage and we're and we're so uh, we love it we eat we soak it up and yet if if paleo is a fad i wish why aren't more people just going for it right probably because it's harder work well yeah and it, you know it can be a fad among subcultures one of the neat things about our society now is we can really we, we can really be segmented i mean it, it's good in a way because we can surround ourselves with people who are going to reinforce the things that we really care about um, I, uh, you know I what? I, there, recently, I was reading. Who was it? I'm trying to figure out if it was a kook or a genius, or a, a, <laughs> was he a philosopher or a clergyman or what? Someone was proposing the idea that because of multiculturalism and because of the homogenization, you know, the the mixing of everything, that's what leads to extremism and fundamentalism. Because of the mix, the, the blending of cultures, that's what actually creates and adds to the extreme edges. Whereas before, when people were segregated and separated, they weren't actually so necessarily opposed or extreme in their views. It's totally uh, against what you would normally, what you would expect. Yeah, and one of the dynamics is um, Benjamin Barber, he's a uh, philosopher. He, he described this back in the 90s in, in this, uh, first it was an article in like uh, The Atlantic or something like that, then in a book called Jihad versus McWorld. 
And what he was saying was that, you know, there's this right now, the, the largest global surge is, you know, corporate capitalism, right? And it's, it's getting, it's penetrating more and more of the world's cultures. But as it gets to a new culture, there's a reaction. And he called that jihad. This was, you know, pre 9-11. He wasn't using it in an um, Islamist sense. He was just using yep. it as a local reaction to some kind of intrusion. Okay. Right? So, you know, and, and so maybe what we have, we can riff on this guy that you were, you were describing. You know, we have so many opportunities for us to, to get our hackles up, right? Mm-hmm. But then there's this other mechanism, um, you know, the Aunt Ruth syndrome. And that's, that's by um, Putnam, Robert Putnam. He wrote Bowling Alone and a couple other things. But he recently wrote a book on religion in America. He's a social scientist. And he said one of the things that's, that's creating a more tolerant America is that everybody has an Aunt Ruth at this point who is X, right? Mm-hmm. So whereas before... Someone could could um, be against Islam, right? Because mm-hmm. they didn't know any Muslims, but now they have an Aunt Ruth who converted to Islam. Yeah, that's the other side to the coin of what I was yeah. saying. Where that because of the the extreme, com, you know, the combination of, of of cultures that it leads to extremism, and this would be the flip side to that. Right. Um, because sometimes, but also, people will react and want to differentiate themselves. And I think that's why they become extreme as well. Yeah. And, and people, you know, there's no end to the, you know, contortions that the mind will do to preserve a prejudice, right? I mean, so, yes, Aunt, Ru- Aunt Ruth is a, is a Muslim, but, you mm-hmm. know, she's not like the others, right? I, mean, no, I grew up in the South, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that's what you'd hear. Mm-hmm. And it was just disgusting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Confirmation bias, man. It's it's all over the place. Selection bias, confirmation bias. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Very powerful. Absolutely. And if we lived in a perfect world, it'd be useful. <laughs> right? Yeah. You got to use some of these quirky things to your advantage. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, yeah or else you'd be paralyzed, right? Exactly. Especially with awareness of what's around you, with the, in the powers that be, you know, if you're not a part of it. If, if you're on the wrong team, you're you're really up against it. You know, you were talking earlier about psychiatry, psychology of of something. I'm trying to get back to the to the moment there because I just got off the phone with a psychiatrist. Yeah, that's so awesome! I can't wait to hear that. Um, uh, Emily Deans and she her th- thing is evolutionary psychiatry, which I'm still really struggling with to even understand why what that really means in practice. Yeah. It just seems like a con- sounds like a convenient thing to say. Well, but I mean we have to be careful. I mean here's here's kind of my opinion and you know people who are new to to hearing us, you know. I mean I I'm <laughs> I'm I'm trained as a scientist, right? And uh so don't write me off as some kind of you know religious kook because mm-hmm. I'm you know I'm a priest and you wear know. a hat. Right, and wear a funny hat. Funny hat and robes. And- <laughs> right. But we have to be careful that we don't turn any kind of, any, anything into, um, I mean, evolution can become uh, teleological. It can become kind of circular. It becomes our worldview. I was going to say, it could become fine. our God, right? Well, no, I'm not, not going to go that far. I mean, it becomes okay. our worldview so that it's just the way that we understand stuff. Okay. Right? Mm-hmm. But the problem then is, you know, you have to be careful that, that you're... 
you're not, you don't think you're being more scientific than you are. Right, because especially if you just, just throw the word evolutionary out there. Right. Did right. you so ever see the... leverage. Yeah, I mean, did you ever, yeah, go on, sorry. Did you ever read the speech by, um, from last year's AHS by um, Matt Lalonde? They call him the Kraken. No. He actually called everyone out for being scientists on their blogs and just basically told everyone to stop it in the paleo community. Stop talking about evolution. Stop talking about we're not evolutionarily designed to eat grains or, you know, it's not our evolutionary basis to eat these foods. It's like you have no idea what you're talking about and and just stop saying it. And people were extremely offended, but he gave his argument and he, he showed that um, just because something's evolutionarily novel does not mean it can't be a, a nutritious food for you. People have found new foods throughout history. So you can't logically say that we aren't evolutionarily designed to eat grains. They could yeah. be a new food and we could um, thrive on them. So we got to be careful when we're throwing around science if you don't understand it. That's like for me, I don't understand evolution. I have no training in it whatsoever. I know very little about it, really. So I've been steering kind of wide and clear of it for now. Yeah, and you know the the data is often so. I mean, anthropologists are getting better at this, um, but you know it. It's just the data is not all that good as compared to, uh, you know, looking at health effects now, right? So, I mean, it's interesting for me to hear how much wheat has changed. Okay, I, I buy that. I love the book Wheat Belly. You know, um, but what really convinces me is when I see the health effects of so many people who eat wheat, mm-hmm. right? And you can... Regardless you can, of whether Dr. Davis is right or not, getting it yeah. out of your diet does improve you. And it doesn't exactly. matter if it's because it's the new wheat or, you know, whether or not his theory is correct isn't really the issue. Well, not for me, because I'm, I'm not... Yeah, I mean, from your personal health standpoint. System. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I care. I really do care. I, I GMOs bother me. Although, you know, I've talked to some people who were, who were almost fellow travelers, right? Mm-hmm. And I'll say, hey, how do you feel about GMOs? And they're like, oh, you know, I, I, I think some of it's pretty good. I, I don't have a problem with it. And I bring up some of the issues, you know, that, that, you know, <laughs> that we just know <laughs> as yeah. being like, you know, Godzilla, right? <laughs> and they're like, yeah. You're talking about the potential destruction of everything as we know it. <laughs> right. Don't you care? Yeah, ah. right. And they're like, yeah, but look how many people we can feed. Yep, yep. Oh. Just like animal uh, fact, um, laboratory meat, you know, oh. a lot of people are pushing for this. It's a oh. violation. Yeah. It, abs- it is. It violates everything. It, it dishonors the the universe, the freaking sun, photosynthesis, you know, Sandor, the Sandor grass, Katz and said water. something that was just so genius. I mean, that man, he's amazing. Mm-hmm. And he talked, I, don't, I can't even remember how he said it. But he talked about how when you eat good food, real food, and, and live food, fermented food in this mm-hmm. case, that you were, you were being more human because you were participating in life. Yeah, so maybe that's that symbiogenesis, yeah. genesis. I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but yeah, that, that is the same as the SCOBY. That, that's that balance, and you honor yeah. that balance when you participate Right. You know, vegan. and so what do we do to the balance when we, you know, grow meat in a in a 
petri dish or something. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's no good. It, that's when science has gone off the rails. Well, how do you feel about this? I, I haven't seen this article in a few months, so I don't even know if I haven't seen it updated, so I don't know if it's true or anything. Um, but about uh, designing cows or modifying cows so that they give the equivalent of human breast milk. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was a while back. I did see that. Yeah, I, I, mean, I thought that one went away. I was hoping it did. Yeah, but, I mean, but mother's milk has so many good chemicals in it, right? We can't even make, we can't even make formula right. So, well, here you but know, then to do that—that's just a, again, that's. That, we've that's we've got wrong. all these um, compromises that we make, right? Like uh, you, you know, you're you're a parent, you know, you're also limited income, you know, and, but you have these ideals, and so you know what I'm talking about when it comes to compromises sure. and bringing stuff in. So here, um, my preference. If I'm going to have milk, is to have organic grass-fed milk. Sure, but even if I buy organic milk, I'm not sure it's grass-fed. It never, it rarely is, right? Right. And then one of my other things that I really like is supporting local business. Mm-hmm. Well, right down the street, we've got a a dairy, and the dairy pledges not to use, you know, growth hormone. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think they've promised that they don't use. Um, prophylactic use of, of antibiotics. antibiotics right and they grow their own corn so, <laughs> if it, so, so then you're, you've got the local versus perfect going on yep yep what yeah i know and then the thing the, uh, the deal breaker is grass or grain for me yeah, yeah. if if they're on grass if they're pastured animals then you're, that's a win, you know? Then you don't even have to use the antibiotics anyways. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, um, well, we, but then uh, even well, in the animals themselves are a bit of a problem. If they're raising... So this is the problem you get into. Even if they're grass-fed cows, but they're Holsteins, these are the newer breed. This is the breed with the potentially bad casein. These newer breeds are potentially much, are pretty uh, have a greater potential to damage your health because of the casein uh, that are, that's produced. Great, but they so, produce more milk or something. Is that like four times as much? Oh goodness gracious! Yeah, <laughs> they think they can produce like eight gallons a day or something a Holstein. Some some absurd number versus like one or two for the old. So one thing you'll want to look for are the old Asian breeds. Jerseys, and there's a few others. It's easy to research, mm. and there's just two different types of casein. If you just go on to Weston A. Price, they explain the whole thing. Yeah, old versus uh, new breeds. <clears throat> so everything's a rat hole. Like, okay, I'm gonna get organic milk. Well, that's actually no good because it's about fifty percent pus because <laughs> it's still industrial garbage. Yeah. So when I that's one of my yeah. things in fermentation that I preach to people is don't buy yogurt. Do not buy uh, stony. Don't don't buy any Stonyfield organic uh, whatever. Don't buy it because it's not worth it just to get the probiotics. Mm. You're drinking an adulterated, immoral product. Um, these these animals suffer. Industrial cows, and I don't. I would rather people not eat. I think milk's the worst. Yeah, and you're going to say that, you know, I don't know if you will, but I, I know a lot of people say this is woo-woo. I don't think this, this definitely has observable health impact, right? 
when you do the wrong thing, eventually it catches up with you, and that and that difference is yeah. observable. If you're eating a but heavily stressed also, and sick animal, yeah, you're right. going to pay. But I think it does damage to our to this you know thing that Sandor was talking about. I mean, it does damage to the world. It does. You know, I'm willing to say damage to creation. That's the kind of words we use, right? Sure. I mean, we are breaking creation. I mean, it groans is the way that, that Paul describes it, right? The, the world is groaning. <laughs> and you know, So that, they were dealing with the same talking. problems then, uh, apparently. They, he, yeah. He actually said oh. the world was groaning. Oh, yeah. yeah In reference to what? Groaning. Yeah. So, the, yeah, and this is the understanding, that the, the Eastern understanding, the Eastern Christian understanding of the world. It's, it's not... You know, in the in the West, we focus on the individual. So we have this idea in the West of original sin, and somehow it's passed down through the sperm or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But no, in the in the East, we have this idea. No, the the cosmos, the the universe, is suffering as a result of our selfishness. Hmm. We there's this ontological effect that our 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 perversity, our our selfishness has on the world around us. And like I said, a lot of it we can observe the mechanisms, right? You know, you, you, can, you can see how someone who um, doesn't care for their children because they're so selfish, they want to care for themselves. You can see how that perverts stuff. Or, you know, if we start messing with cows and we mm. <laughs> mess up the milk. You're talking about something beyond karmic, right? Right, because it's cosmic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Karmic is still individual. So, like in the, in the West, you have almost the equivalent of karmic. You have this idea of I have original sin, which I've added to. And but then you know through through the the salvation through the suffering of of God or whatever you know I can I can become clean, but there's this this cosmic understanding of all this that that I really love in in my faith is that no we're not just it's not just about me <laughs> you know becoming a better person it's about all the world being healed by you know the efforts of of people. You know, people who are committed to goodness, right? That there's something that happens around them. And that's, you're talking about a violation of the American ethic. I know, I know it's sad. <laughs> We've been spun uh, oh, an evil web of lies yeah. about what it means to be an, an awesome person. I mean, right. uh, it's, so, it's so anti-communal, it's so anti-community, it's shocking when you kind of discover it. Yeah, and you and I, I think I can speak for you. I mean, we're both introverts, right? It's not like, mm-hmm. it's not like I'm comfortable going out and, and, you know, building community, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, but I do recognize that being a part of a community, you know, really um, helps. It makes me grow, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, we can have a larger effect on stuff. But it also, I mean, it, it, it's healing. And there's uh, something mm-hmm. about that. I just I remember what I was thinking about earlier. You were talking yeah, about healers. Yeah. And I was thinking of Emily Deans and something she said and um which just kind of surprised me. She was talking about shamanic healers from indigenous populations often don't live with the population. They take in so much poison that they don't live with the population. Because so of the, it, the way they heal. Yeah. That they're like vacuum cleaners. <laughs> yeah, and we have a, and they have to. This, they actually separate themselves from the community. There's this wonderful folk um, legend, and I'm sure it has a basis in sin eater, right? Which is this kind of shamanic understanding where you know someone could 
take in someone else's pain and they would live apart, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, lots of, this is, this is uh, across cultures is to have the idea of someone who is, has dedicated themselves to holiness, but they set themselves apart, right? And then you can go on a pilgrimage to see them. And it's not just for that reason, for the reason that, um, you know, they'll be, they'll be tainted by us or something like that. It's uh, like I, I got to visit a monastery about three weeks ago. I like to do this when there's a transition coming up. So we were going from summer, and then I'm, I'm teaching a lot this fall, and I knew it was going to be hectic. So I was like, I, I just needed two, three days just to go away and, um, you know, be with these people. That all they do is is try to be a positive um, participate, it's participant in this healing process, mm-hmm. right? And they do it through meditation and prayer and, and liturgy and stuff. And, uh, you know, it's just so nice to be able to go somewhere where... Um, there aren't the distractions. Right. There aren't the, the compromises. And it's really, some people see it as a cop-out, right? Like, they'd, they'd get on to, maybe they'd get on to the Buddha because he went off by himself, right? Well, he left his wife and child. Right, yeah, and that's, that's problematic, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the person who sets themselves apart to dedicate themselves to, to holiness so that the world through their holiness might be... Um, you know, alleviated or healed, you know, that's, that's awesome. Yeah. And I can, I can see how it would require a separation and these people would need a sanctuary just to, to, to cleanse themselves, you know? And it's not selfish. That's, I mean, it could be selfish. Of course. Well, that could. could be the motivation, but that doesn't mean why they would stay. Right. And, and some people say, well, you know, mon- monks in these quiet monasteries, uh, it's easy for them to be holy. <laughs> they don't have the temptations or whatever. It's, it's, anyone who says that has never tried meditation. <laughs> yeah. right? They tried to quiet their mind for more than one minute, right? You ever um, looked into the David Lynch Foundation? No. So you know David Lynch, the famous film director and artist? He has the foundation called the David Lynch Foundation, and it's um, based on transcendental meditation. And he uses it in... Um, for what's well they actually use the term at risk youth mm-hmm. so he uses this in urban environments and in bad schools and any population that has a, a major problem and they use transcendental meditation to heal um kids throughout the throughout the world just with tm yeah and i, and I don't know the difference between tm and regular meditation Neither or mindfulness I. or anything like that yeah. but there's i mean <sighs> Anyone who wants to become more human has to learn how to control their mind. You talked earlier about being reactionary, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, that's kind of become our default setting. We're reacting to things. And, you know, we don't have that, that singleness of mind. You know, so basically I am a reaction to my environment is what I'm saying. And you've got all these... Uh, and if you live in a purely toxic environment, then your right. reactions are toxic. Yes. You're just... Yeah. Yeah, you're, you can be just become a crazed reactionary or just um, self-serving because you can't even get by. So you have to just it's, – it's just a horrible cycle. You, you almost have to worship the self just to make it through the day. Right. If it's you can't a, it's break a, through. Uh, to, it's a rational strategy. It's, it's, yeah. it's a survival strategy, right? But it's not the healthiest one. <laughs> it's a tool. 
It, it, but it is, yeah, absolutely. And so is addiction. Addiction is another way. I was way just going to gonna say, alcohol is a tool. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not, again, it's not the healthiest, but it no, makes sense. No, it's a mistake. Um, yeah. Same thing but with smoking. Everyone, uh, I mean, writers smoke, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's just a drug. It's a delivery system for something. Yeah. But if uh, if people would spend a few minutes, just start out with maybe even just a couple minutes, just in a special place, you know, in their house or on a walk or something, just being quiet and, um, you know, try to train the mind to look at one thing, mm-hmm. right? And then you'll, the, the first thing you'll notice is how easily you're, you're distracted away from it, right? So then you bring it back, and I'm over time, hmm. the idea is that you get more disciplined at it. Yeah. And, yeah, th- I mean, this is huge. And it's, it's so important to our humanity that every, not just religion, but now the secular world has it. Because I'm, I bet you David Lynch is approaching it as a, you know, as a um, secular, you know, there's a scientific angle to it. You know, I'm bringing help to these kids. Yeah. It's just, you know, part of being human. And then one of the challenges, and this is one that you and I are susceptible to, is, uh, you know, we have so many things that uh, risk making us less human. To the extent that it's important that we'll be able to concentrate on a single thing. You know, these. <laughs> now I'm introduced to the world of Twitter, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> Good and to I've, see you there, by the way. Twitter, uh, Twitter deck. Tweet deck. Oh, man, yeah. Tweet It'll deck. make your head explode once you build all your lists, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, right now I've got like eight people that I'm subscribed to, right? Yeah. But it's still, I'm, I'm already like, how am I going to deal with this? Yeah, you got to build lists of themes or follow oh. other people's lists. Ah. Uh. It'll be like paleo list, health list, religious list. That's how you have to do it. Okay. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to spend you gotta, some You got to spend some time organizing it. Otherwise, don't. <laughs> It'll make you crazy. Oh, gotcha. <laughs> Seriously, it, it's just too much. Well, and I also, I don't know the etiquette. I, you know, yeah. what retweets, quoting tweets. Yeah, you know? That's the thing. It's a culture. So if you just landed in a new country, right. you don't speak the language, even though it's the same language. Um, yeah. But I appreciate you introducing me to people. That was so cool. And and some of your friends or your, I don't know what we call them. In- Followers or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> came back and said, hey, you know, great to Yeah, it's you. nice. You know, I I think that's what you do. If you came over and I had a party and that's I right. walked you in the door, I'd say, hey, everyone. That's right. You know, I'm not comfortable doing that. I don't do it because I'm a big grandstanding blowhard. Look, no. at, I, want, I want to prove my power on Twitter. All my people <laughs> say hello. You know, no, listen no. to me. It's not that at all. It's, hey, this guy's brand new. He's a friend of mine. So, yeah. you know. Go for the multiply. <laughs> I hope people that follow me would understand that, that I'm oh, not one of these. I'm, I'm not a jerk. I'm just a jerk at home. <laughs> Big difference. No, I Have don't you, think anybody who's listened to you more than five minutes thinks you're a jerk. <laughs> <laughs> well... <laughs> Hey, and um, yeah, just again, I mean, kudos on the on the podcast, man. You are bringing in. I love your mix of guests. I mean, you have some really high powered ones, like the the one on that. Um, oh, the disease, Marin McKenna. Yeah, McKenna. Yeah, she's wow. big. I and that's just be, it's all because of Mark Frauenfelder from Boing Boing. Oh, okay. it's all because of him. If it wasn't he, I just use his name. I just name drop him, and then people uh-huh. do the show. That's so cool. Maggie Kurth Baker, she's from Boing Boing. 
Um, Maren McKenna, she knows Mark and Maggie. Um, yeah, and, uh, and Douglas Ruskoff. I mean, you've got some some huge yeah, guests. I've your- been lucky, and I just made a huge error the other day. Yeah. About a year ago, I, Rob Wolf was going to be on the show when the first show first started. Uh huh. But he was just like crazy busy promoting the book. He, you know, this is back when he was on like. NBC right. morning, good morning America or whatever, you know, yeah. at the time he said he was re- receiving over a hundred media, uh, proposals a week Goodness at that God. time. So wow. he said, why don't you hit me up next year? And he said, August. And so I did. I said, Rob, do you want to do the show? And he's like, yep. Send me an email and I'll set it up. So I sent him an email Then he got back to me and I said, you know what? I don't want to do it. You're too busy. You're too famous, and you have too much important work to do. I don't, I, I don't want you to spend an hour on my show. <laughs> so I don't know what that was or why I did that. Some kind of fear of something got in my head. That's one of the things I love about you, your, your humility. Why would, you, why would I do that? <laughs> this is the stupidest thing ever. That's insane. And so he never, got, he never replied to me. He yeah. probably said, okay, and just went away. So gotcha. I don't blame him. <laughs> I'll reach out again in a year. There you go. But the thing is, he's really one of my favorite people in the yeah. paleo movement because he gets uh-huh. it. He's willing to change, grow, retract advice. Health gurus never are willing to do that. Oh, yeah. He's willing to say, I made a mistake. He yeah. said, I, you know, I made a mistake. We have re- revised this. This is where we're at now. Will it change? Yes. He's the first to admit. If he finds a diet that's better than the one he's promoting, he'll just switch. He'll... Very He'll good. move, you know? Yeah. yeah. You got to be that way. I mean, you got to be confident, right? Because, I mean, you've done your, you've done your work. Yeah, and if you're helping but tens you gotta of be thousands humble. of you people. Can't, you can't hold on to it. Right. Yeah, and you got to be willing to grow or whatever. And you made a comment like that. You're like, and sometimes you just throw it away like to, oh, what was it? You had a tweet today, you know, building, building a connected world one oh. introduction at a time or something right, like right, that. Right, right, right. And, and then the next tweet was, or... Or destroy. destroying the world. Sure. sure, I don't. I don't know. And then, but but earlier, like I don't know, a few months ago, uh, you know, you you were really in, big into kombucha, and then you were like, well, you know, but what if kombucha isn't great for me? Yeah, and now then, you know, I'll trash it. I trash it to people all the time, and people it makes people angry. I'm not even going to let a, a way for anyone to know who this website was. Okay. This is a person who's a blogger who's just not doing perfectly well with their health and they're very open about it, which I appreciate. So yeah. I commented, perhaps the kombucha is not the right food at this time. If you are going to homebrew, you need to, and then I said, buy some testing equipment. You need either um, a hydrometer or um, a bricks meter, refractometer. And she basically told me, I don't want people coming on my blog and telling me what to do. And I said, it's advice. That's what it, it's helping. That, what do you mean? I'm not telling you what to do as in, <laughs> it's like if you know, if your labor, it, here's how I talk, right? Yeah. My neighbor's outside, I'm looking at my lawnmower, and I'm like, dang, thing won't start. The neighbor will come over and go, you know what you need to do is... Take her over to Jim's over there over the hill, and he'll fix that for you, right? 
Right. He'll say, well, what you need to do is... He's not telling me what to do. I was not telling this woman yeah. what to do. Whatever. Right, right. So the, the, that's what we call a lack of charity. You know, the, the people didn't hear the way that you you were. They heard, they put you in a box, right? Yeah, well, you know what it is? A lot of bloggers, they want to be worshipped and praised and adored. People want oh. to be adored. They want to be adored for failing, adored for overcoming, adored for admitting, adored for everything. Mm. And yet, if you come into their world with a piece of a nugget, yeah. you, you get trashed. Wow. Yeah, so you got to learn how to, how to speak with the weasel words, right? Well, did you ever think about yeah. maybe... Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's not going to... Or we could just assume that we're all adults. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I talk pretty nicely. I, I don't come in with a harsh or aggressive language, so I'm not definitely not going to back all the way up and be go hyper soft. Then it's just not me at all, so... Hey, do you have a little more time? Yeah. You ever read or look in, or hear about of Jordan Maxwell? Uh, sing a few notes. Jordan Maxwell. He is a he's a kook, um, and he talks about kind of like symbiology, the symbols throughout history, what they actually mean. Okay. The secret societies of the world, you know. And all these yeah. things, and he, the Illuminati, okay, okay, and all this stuff, and he's deep into it, you know, the alien cultures and all that. He seems to be getting a little worse now. He, he's he's kind of gone off the deep end. I think he's really, really trying to differentiate himself. So he's yeah. gone. He's been created, created a nearly a fundamentalist uh, conspiracy conspiracist you know i'm making up words now yeah okay but uh one thing i did read of his he so he has a lot of his lectures for free but he sells a lot of crap this is how he lives is writing books and selling them right but he did a a thing on the history of religions and it's a it's a darn good read um a lot of good historical facts mixed with a little bit of bs which i can imagine most things are yeah but um, he was talking about, and I've read about this uh, uh, several times, the ages, okay? The, you know, the age of Aquarius, right? The, right. On all these times. And right now they're trying to figure out when this, this time has changed or, you know, has changed in the past or are we now changing from, um, which one is it? Um, Pisces to Aquarius? Yeah. Yeah, so from Jesus... The fish symbol to Aquarius. And he actually pointed to an a article, of a piece in the Bible, where he says, is it one of the apostles, or is it Jesus himself, says, look to the man with the, with the water or something like that? The man with the what? Or something like that. Something with the one with water. I, I don't remember the passage, but it was an allusion to, in the future, what you'll be looking to is this, this new age. This oh, you know of- what? That's probably yeah. Okay, so it's talking about the coming of the Comforter. Yes, and and what people do is they they um, they like to play with words and and symbols, and then they use it to you know to make their own point. Yeah, which is you know that's fun. <laughs> Let me give you an example because um, I mean you, we've talked about this before. I love comparative religion. 
right? Because um, religious give they give us these symbols and ideas, and then they're available, right? They're out there, so you just take them and you appropriate them and you know kind of repackage them. But uh, the um, Muslims also have done this with the very same passage, you know, that that um, the Father will send a Comforter, you know, a Spirit of Truth, and it's Paraclete is the the Greek word, right? And um, but the the Muslims were able to to use it and say, well, in in Arabic there are no vowels, so it could be Paraclete, you know, mm-hmm. not just Paraclete, but all, you put in your vowels. And they were able to turn it to say that it was a prophecy of Muhammad, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, it, it works for them. <laughs> Personally, you know, someone who's within that Christian worldview, I believe that that's, that that's wrong. It was actually talking about, you know, the coming of the Holy Spirit that would, that would guide and direct, you know, all, all the people in the church and yet Pentecost and so on. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, this is what makes study and religion fun. Yeah, is it sure. Uncovering, uncovering yeah. historical acts and incidents and things that reveal how things transpired. What what yeah. what was the inspiration for such? Right. So it's one of those kind of referring to in in uh, with the Jordan Maxwell thing. He explained like you know if you watch the movie The Ten Commandments, which is probably some people's only experience with the Old Testament. <laughs> Right. Right. Yeah, is, just like the Da Vinci Code is their only experience with, with the early church. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you know when they're when the, when he when Moses goes up the mountain or wherever he goes and the people build that ram that golden ram mm-hmm. and when Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments that's a symbol of a change of an age. This was the new age when they had the Ten Commandments. And I was wondering if that's an actual true perspective biblically or if that's just something Jordan made well, up. No, I mean, he's using it to, to reinforce his point. Um, the, when, you know, we don't look at things as, in terms of astrology and stuff so much anymore, but the early church did um, because that was part of Jewish mysticism, right? And so the early church, a lot of, a lot of the theologians were steeped in this. You know, so you had the, all the Gnostic traditions and things, and they they weren't just Gnostic um, ones that uh, you know were were non-Christian. These ideas also were were part of you know what are now called church fathers, people who Christians still look to for advice. They would use astrology, and they'd look for numerology was huge. You know, counting the number of letters and mm-hmm. a set of words and things, and it was huge because it was huge to you know, among the culture at that time. Uh, and you know what? Here's something interesting. Um, someone who riffs on this is uh, Alan Moore. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the comic book guy, right? I don't know him, no. Okay, well, he, he's, uh, he did um, The Watchmen. Okay. You know, he was responsible for, for bringing back Batman, really. And maybe V is for, for Vendetta. You know, so he's, he's really big. But he's, uh, he's also an occultist. And one of the comic book series he did that I can't remember right now, but he explains like Kabbalah and stuff, stuff mm-hmm. like this, using comic book as a medium to to instruct on this. And he uses, he goes through, and one of the series of it goes through and explains the, the tarot symbolism, you know, like tarot cards, mm-hmm. you know, the cup mm-hmm. and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, so you have these symbols that are available for anybody to use. But, but back to the thing about um, 
about, about Moses and the ages. Mm-hmm. The way that, um, that my tradition divides it up ages is kind of in terms of the, the different covenants. Okay. Right? Which are agreements or <laughs> kind mm-hmm. of like contracts between God and mankind. And, you know, the time of Moses was a time of a contract. Uh, he is credited with, you know, the Levitical um, rules and all this kind of stuff. But the first one was with, you know, Adam and then with uh, Noah and then at, at Babel and, you know, so on. You keep, you keep having them. Um, and then, you know, Christians believe that the, the last one was you know, a couple thousand years ago, the, the covenant, um, you know, in the church through Christ. And mm-hmm. uh, so we wouldn't, you know, look to the change from Pisces to whatever comes next as, as being huge. Okay. But here's, here's something that I, I'd, I'd like to just segue into. One of the these things, you know, we, we've talked about how, um, how our individualist culture has moved us away from, you know, we've lost some of our humanity. Another thing that I think we've lost is, is this idea of cycles. You know, like, I mean, just at the basic level, night and day, mm-hmm. right? So the circadian rhythm, I mean, we just, yep. we're not into that at all. Mm-hmm. Right, and I'm sure there. I'm are the greatest the, defender of that in the world. I'm a night. Yeah. I'm a night owl. You know, okay. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure there are consequences, right? Did you hear and my then, Did you hear my interview with Tori Freeman? He talked about this, the cycles yeah. of eating throughout the calendar year. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I don't. Is it is that in line with what you're talking about? Yes, it is. It's okay. exactly in line. So yeah, so food, um, as we get back into real food. It brings us back into a rhythm, mm. a natural rhythm, right? Mm-hmm. Where we mark the seasons, and this is something that you know religions just used to be part of a culture, right? So whether it's paganism or Christianity or whatever, it was part of that. So we have you know harvest festivals and stuff like that, and um, but we've moved away from it. like Protestantism doesn't really do that because it's such an individual faith. It's it's reduced the faith to this this um, I don't know. One decision, you know, I've committed my life to Christ, and therefore everything's good between me and God, and I can. But it's it's also committed people to ivory towers and closed doors and ceremony. Yeah, yeah fair enough. And I think yeah. that with the emergent food culture, mm-hmm. this all kind of ties into a more outdoorsy perspective that the truth is actually outside. This is some of the things I was inspired by Jordan Maxwell. I do think the man's. Uh, a manipulator, mm-hmm. not a good person necessarily, but he does have things that he's observed that are great observations. Yeah, one yeah. of them being the, the the massive structures that churches were. Um, the it's its own universe inside those walls, you know, and that in the future the movement will be basically a return to the worship of su- of the sun. Now, in any culture, you could change that to mean whatever. The return of Jesus Christ, the actual physical worship of the sun. But this mm-hmm. idea that we're going to end up going back outside. And it's just coming true in the food movement. Yeah, and you know we have these, these cycles, and the, a lot of them are based on the sun. And we, we do have this imagery. I mean, you, you just hinted at it. You know, we, have, we play on that idea of the sun of righteousness, right? And people sometimes, you know, get upset at Christianity because we expropriated the um, the solstice, right? The winter solstice. Um, 
that was the date that was decided to celebrate the Nativity of Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Why? Well, it wasn't just because pagans were already celebrating it. It was also because it's, it's the time when you go from you know, darkness to light and so on. So it wasn't an imposition. Uh, one of the, again, I'm, I mean, I'm trying to, not trying to sell you anything, but I'm no, trying to explain why I get excited to, about yeah, it. Yeah, sure. Is that um, with, with orthodoxy is that it's not afraid of nature. Hmm. You know, because sometimes like people tend to say, oh, that's pagan. Well, yeah, so. Yeah. I mean, these are people. People Especially trying, if pagan just means ancient. <laughs> You know, yeah. I mean, what does it mean? <laughs> so we're, you know, yeah. 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 So I, I may, um, you know, when a, my contribution to the paleo movement may be uh, offering up, you know, paleo religion. <laughs> right? What, why is it yeah. that, um, that we have these, these rituals and so on? Are you involved in the movement to make an um, American Orthodox church? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm American. Will they make, um, I mean, will they make a... A church there, that's just American Orthodox? Yeah, it's going to happen organically. I yeah. mean, de facto, it already has, right? Because, I mean, I serve in a Ukrainian parish, right? Technically, I'm a Ukrainian priest, but my name's Perkins, right? Yeah. And, you know, we it's use... not Ukrainian, I'm guessing? No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, we use English almost all the time. I'll use whatever language, you know, I can learn that people understand, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's very English of me to think of of languages in utilitarian terms, right? Right, right. <laughs> but yeah, so, but yes, we are. I, I am part of that. My bishop is part of that, um, and you know, some of it, it looks so bureaucratic, right? So never watch sausage being made. Never watch politics, yep, right? And right. Especially church politics, because it'll just it'll discuss your stomach. You. Yeah, food yep. law. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So the way that I deal with it, because ugly stuff happens, right? And I just look at the healing that goes on in this community, right? I mean, at the transformations that occur in and around it, and the joy that people have when we're together. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it, it really is. I mean, it's ontological. You can you can see it. It's it's measurable. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not it's not woo woo. In other words, I mean, we can disagree about the mechanisms, right? Although I, I recognize the utility of dopamine and, you know, we use incense to get back to an earlier part of our conversation, right? <laughs> Why do we use incense? Well, in part because it's such a powerful trigger. Yeah. Right? Um, and we use beeswax candles, you know, all these really natural things. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those paraffin candles, awful. Those are like blasphemous. I mean, they're, yeah. they're, they're awful. Um, but beeswax, man, when you burn that, it's, it's so pure. And then we use um, olive oil instead of, uh, as much as I can, instead of electric lights. We, um, you know, olive oil makes a wonderful lamp. Really? Yeah, you just dip string in it. Yeah. And then you you have some kind of mechanism, whether it's a float or something set across the top of the lamp that holds, so the string is the wick and it goes down into the oil and then it sticks up, you know, usually around an eighth to a quarter of an inch. And... It it burns great. It burns nicely. Yeah, I think it would just make black smoke. Nope, nope. And no, you have to. What you have to do is you have to you figure out how to trim like it. Your oxygen and the how tall the flame and all that. But you don't want to burn the string. That's where you get the smoke from. Yeah, I wonder string. if coconut oil works. 
I haven't tried it. I bet you it would smell good. <laughs> I've got I've got five gallons, so you know it would. Yeah, of course. Yeah, but I don't know. I don't use the coconut oil that smells or tastes like coconut oil, though. I don't like that. So I use MCT. I do. No, it's a um, expeller pressed oil. Okay. Expeller pressed is scentless, flavorless. Oh. The virgin coconut oils taste like coconut. Yeah, I use Nutiva or whatever. Yeah, I buy five gallons at a time from Tropical Traditions, and it you get a whole five gallons for 150 bucks. And and coconut is like if I'm jonesing for some cereal, Mm -hmm. coconut flakes. Yeah. Awesome. Huh. Interesting. So good. And then our we have this store called uh, Job Lots, and I think over in in Ohio it's um, Odd Lots or Big Lots or Odd Lots. Yeah. Or whatever, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, they um, just last week they had these crates of uh, coconut water. Oh yeah, yeah, a buck for like twenty ounce can. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Yeah, when so, our local health food store did that, I bought several cases. I think I bought six cases. Yeah. I'm with you, man. <laughs> I just you got to hit those good deals. Do you do? <laughs> That's great. So, I have friends that are fundamentalist Christian, but yeah. they won't admit to being so. Uh-huh. But how can you tell? They told me to come over and read their Bible, uh. and that the answers were in the Bible. And I said, yeah. well, no, actually, well, it's, um, it's <laughs> the answers are in the community and in the yeah. living church. They're like, no, it's, it's straight out of the Bible. And I'm like, no, you understand that this, these are, some of these are, this is mythologies, and they're like, no, this is God's word. And I said, I'm just emerging as a friend of these people. Yeah. They came over. They wanted to hear my spiel about all the insanity that I talk about. Mm-hmm. And then it got into this. I knew from, I've only hung out with them two times. I knew that they were religious. And I thought there was a chance that they were coming over to proselytize or be disciples. And it turns out that's kind of what they were doing. Hide the kids. So I, I want to know what to do. I, I think I'm just going to have to maintain a normal friendship with them, but not pursue it much further. Because I think fundamentalists are scary. Yeah, if they're not going to respect... I mean, people have to be able to respect your boundaries, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mean, the thing is, you can refute what they're saying all the time. You can say, look, there's no such thing as as just you and your Bible, you're always coming at it with a mindset, you know, with the culture and stuff. And so what you're saying about all the answers being in the Bible, you know, every answer is in the Bible, <laughs> useful ones and unusual. And you, it's anything is in there. Right. Yeah. Um, because of, but that's how do yeah. it. they're, they're not going to get that. And especially if they're, if they're socialized evangelicals or social, socialized fundamentalists, because part of that socialization is anti, Tradition. Yeah. See, they're leading a new movement. They're part of the CMA. This is a Christian Missionary Alliance. And they do they set up home churches. Mm-hmm. I, think that, I, I kinda like the idea of a home yeah. church, but it's also scary because yeah. that's when you get rogue individuals who right. can be charismatic and insane. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I mean I, I see I'm I'm perfectly willing to recognize the problems with hierarchy. Okay, got it. Check. You yeah. know, I'm an American. I'm, yeah. I'm a, I'm, right. My default is individualist. 
but you know, at, at least I got somebody that I, is going to tell me if I'm goobed up, right? And mm-hmm. so we were. I, I used to be involved with um, this uh, clergy umbrella group called the Rhode Island Council of Churches, and you know, most of them are are Protestants, and some of them radically so, to where they have no use for you know hierarchy and things, and. The, that that kooky guy, oh, well, there were a couple of kooks, and both of them are, call themselves Baptists. One of them was going to burn the Quran. The other is oh, the group. You mean these that, recent, recently, recent guys? Yeah. yeah. And then there was the other congregation, I think, out in the Midwest that, you know, says God hates fags or something like that and, and boycotts yeah. all funerals and stuff. I mean, just ridiculous stuff. They're evil, and, yeah. And this, this Baptist theologian had just, had just told me that Every single congregation has the fullness of the truth. And I'm like, what about them? Yeah, right. Because <laughs> if I started doing stuff like that, you know, they'd say, hey, you're, you're wrong. You're, uh, yeah. tell the truth or you're losing your job. Yeah, absolutely. Because that's the living community. And right. It, it has to be an interpretive community. Yeah. It right. has to be. That's what it does. It self-regulates. It decides what the truth is over time. It changes. Right. This is where one it, of the logical fallacies when people try to prove that um, religions are irrelevant or wrong is that they've changed. That <laughs> if, if, if you've understood, if you're, so what they'll do is they'll say, if you have this book and you have these beliefs, but you've changed over time, but the book didn't change, then logically... You're it, you're you're speaking of a false faith. I've I've heard this argument many times. I know, I know, I know. But I know. it's not a logical argument um, no. because the it is the interpretive community that is the greatest source of truth and wisdom. You have to, yeah, it's learning and growing. You know, and it should be easier for Christians. And here, let me let me make a plug. I mean, it's not. I'm I'm trying to make an argument as a comparative religion guy, not necessarily as a, as a priest, because um, the our source of of authority, our ideal, is um, is a person, right? The God Man Christ, right? So, uh, who's who's living, right? I mean, we have a book that described what he did, and that you know those writings are pretty old, but compare that to. Um, so you can re- you can reform by saying, well, now we understand better the will of this man. But if it, just think about it, if you know, if you're a fundamentalist when it comes to your text, it's a lot more problematic. And the people who have the, the hardest time with this, um, if they get too tied to the text, is uh, are Muslims because for them the perfect word of God is the Quran. Mm-hmm. And so fundamentalists there, they have, they kind of have more, um, uh, I don't know, more, more gravity, you know, so even, but even there, for so long, the idea was that, no, we interpret the Quran, um, and, you know, they had this idea of it jihad, which is interpretation, um, but that's where the fundamentalists are coming from, mm-hmm. Some of them, like these, you know, some of the Taliban, they'll they'll try to dress exactly like Muhammad did, and and so on, because that's the perfect ideal is everything that's described there. Whereas Christians, 
I mean, we have a Bible that describes what this this man did, but he really is the ideal, not not the words, right? Right. So, I mean, just to get a little bit more theological, St. St. John's Gospel, is my, it's my favorite. It's the one that speaks to me the most. And it starts out, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God. And it's almost as if the image that, that some these fundamentalists get is that the Word of God was, you know, the King James Bible. This is the problem. That they it's absolutely the, believe that. Right, right. That it's this, it's this paper and the binding and the book they hold in their hand as it. if the finger of God etched it. Yeah. yeah. And th- this, is, this is the problem. Um, that's, this is why I can talk to you about religion all night long, and I, I couldn't talk to those people any longer because they just don't understand. that. Like, I can listen to you talk about your faith and love for Jesus as a living being in your life, in a, you know, of any importance, and I, it, it warms me, uh, it, it's comforting, and it, it, it would lend me to maybe explore it or find out more. But when I hear about their leap of faith, it's so gross to me. It's so almost abusive, and it's a violation of, of uh, intellect. Um, yeah. it, it's, it's damaged. It's completely different. Right. So you, when you're talking to them, you have to focus on other things, you know, kids, food. We do. We do, because they're a part of the real food movement. Yeah. And part of the, part of the arguments, the conversation started because of evolution. You know, the uh. evolutionary basis of paleo diet. Uh-huh. And, you know, they don't believe in evolution. They, you know, believe the Earth's 6,000 years old or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And, and as we were talking, the guy, he didn't say much. And then he's, all of a sudden he just said, I can disprove evolution in 20 minutes. And I said, you, what? What do you mean? What are you talking about? He said, I could disprove evolution in 20 minutes. And so then he didn't have to say anything else because he broke the enthymeme. <laughs> he broke the part where we could agree. We couldn't even <laughs> on something. Well, now yeah. look, if his faith tells him that evolution does not exist, that is fine and I can proceed to have a conversation with him all night long and yeah. I will listen to him tell me the reasons that his god says there's no religion. I don't know if any people can understand this what I'm saying. It is okay for him not to believe in evolution. It is fine. But for him to tell me he can scientifically disprove it in 20 minutes, it, 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 it violates intelligence. Right. Because well, all of biology is based on evolution. All of modern science. But, but, you, know, but you know how it's done. It's, it's done by creating a straw man. Right? Um, so by evolution, it, it's defined as the way Darwin presented it. Mm. Which has since been modified. Right? Mm-hmm. So it it creates a, a straw man, and yeah, yeah. And by the way, this is why I don't get upset that, um, like, sometimes there's a, a visceral reaction against, like, me even people who don't know me because of what I represent. But oh, the, because of what you represent, because of what their what their experience with what they what you may be right, right, and so. You know, we, as someone who is, is trying to help heal people, right, I have to recognize that, that one of the challenges I have um, 
is that people think they know what it is I'm offering to them. Mm-hmm. Right. And they, they really don't. I yeah. mean, yeah. When, even, even among Christians, they have no idea about, about Christian meditation, for example. Right. Well, have you ever heard of Dr. Walter Martin? Nope. He wrote a book called Kingdom of the Cults. Here's a part of the problem for me. I grew up kind of worshiping this guy and his ideas. So I was a little bit of a fundamentalist Christian. Uh-huh. I went to an Assemblies of God church yeah. and um, was saved and whatever you want to call it, born again and all that. Speak in tongues? Uh, not that. They, well, I, they, that was accepted in the church. I never did it, and I only saw it a few times. So that was a part of the church. Um, but what am I saying here about Walter Martin? Right. He taught me... So this man's famous. I mean, he wrote a... That's a, a major book, Kingdom of the Cults. Um, he taught me that a human is an onion. And if you look within, all you're doing is peeling away layer after layer after layer of an onion, and in the end... All you've done is dismantle the onion. There's no deeper truth inside of an onion than there is outside. So I literally believed this. So it, it set me back years, yeah. a decades. This, this damaged me because I always believed him that there was no reason to peek within because the only answer was in the book. Oh, my so that literally damaged me. I mean, that's, that, that, that's probably 20 years of damage right there. Yeah. So you didn't have a concept of, you know, the kingdom of God within you or any of, any of this? No, that's, that's cultish. Oh. You know, the, you can't look within. You're not allowed because you know why? It exposes their lies. If you have calmness, stillness, and uh, connection, you, you, you'll, you'll break through their lies. That's, that's their defense mechanism. Wow. Yeah, and yeah, and that's cults do have you know organizations have a hard time with that. But the funny thing is, the guy wrote a book called Kingdom of the Cults about all the cults, and he's a freaking cult leader. Wow, he sure is. So yeah, see, we've got this. This um, one of the the strongest um, concepts that we offer is this idea that if you if you have inner stillness, Mm -hmm. then you can experience uh, the energies of God, right? It's called hesychasm or the stillness movement. And uh, it, there was a reaction to it. This is what the, the monks were practicing. And there was a huge reaction to it by the institutional church, especially in the West, because it's, it seemed to suggest that you could have an experience of God outside their control, right? <laughs> and yeah. There was this, this, this huge argument. And, and so this the, is a bit heretical. Which one? Well, to, no, it's to not. To tell people that, well, I mean, from, the, from, a, from someone's perspective, to tell people that they can experience anything on their own is kind of heretical, isn't it? Right. It's, it's, yeah, it's something that every organization fears. Yeah. Right. And so what, in orthodoxy, what, the way it was handled is it's balanced. You say, well, you know, you have to learn discernment. Okay, because this is one of the problems are our minds, and this is something that you can appreciate as, as you know, like in science, is how our minds can deceive us. You know, we have our imaginations and so on. So anytime we have a, for example, a paranormal encounter, our null hypothesis should be that 
you know, it's just misfiring neutrons. You yes. know, it's, yep. it's like um, Scrooge said, you know, a bit of a bit of last night's soup. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a <laughs> that, misinterpretation by your brain. Yeah. Right. So so the idea is that yes, you can do it on your own, but you need to do it in community on your own. <laughs> okay. That, I I buy that. I totally I absolutely do because yeah, you need you don't you yeah, let's think about it this way maybe you don't have the language to understand what you're experiencing. Therefore, you can't even understand it. Remember we're you know going back to that language idea. Point, having right? words to explain things. If you don't have the language for where you are or where you're headed, it'd be hard to interpret what you're seeing, feeling. Right? You got, Isn't that yeah, possible? Not, Is that, we both share a love of, of language and um, you know these books on metaphors and, and symbolisms and stuff. It's just, just so awesome. Have you read a lot of Joseph Campbell? Oh, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Yeah, yeah he's, he's a, he was a gift, I really believe. His awesome work. Yeah, I mean, we, it's it's and also things like the Golden Bough. Like uh, I taught a comparative religion class at a seminary in the spring, and so I showed them some Joseph Campbell. I also exposed them to the explanate different anthropological explanations of religion. You know, to show them that you know don't don't be afraid afraid of scientific explanations of what it is we do. And don't be surprised that everyone does ritual. That's part of what humans do, mm-hmm. right? Um, and because sometimes people get get afraid, you know, and they'll do what this this guy um, Walter Martin did, you know, and yeah. say, <laughs> you know, write books, Kingdom of the Cults. Uh, but yeah, Joseph Campbell, and then um, you know some of the other people that I I um, you know I enjoy reading all this stuff, but like Jung. You know, you can get a lot out of him. I think I need to read some Jung for sure, or read about him. <laughs> about him, no, <laughs> not him. I can't handle the definitely not that, but I mean well, biographies. Books to you. Um, yeah. One of them is by Mitch Horowitz, and it's called Occult America. Okay, awesome book. And I, I <laughs> learned about him this book on one of my favorite radio shows, which is uh, Coast to Coast. Oh yeah, right. <laughs> I used to listen to that years ago. Yeah, and it's it's a great book. It, it describes this, um, in part, it describes the individualist nature of American religion, right? This idea of the um, the the God in, in the self, and how that's played out over time. You know, in things like Theosophy or in Mormonism, all, all kinds of different stuff. Anyway, so that's one recommendation, and then another one is um, Kripal, and I think it's David Kripal, K R I P A L. Okay wrote a book on um, basically the, the theology of comic books, and it's called like Mutants and Mystics, I think is the name of it. But this this book is is really cool because, I mean, I like comics and I like views and stuff. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of books that will describe, you know, you know, Superman is an alien theme, you know, and stuff like that. And he does that very well. Mm-hmm. But what he does that, that other people don't do is he looks at the authors of those comic books and explains their spiritual worldview. It's got Alan Moore. I mean, that's how I learned about his worldview and stuff the, is, is through this book. Um, but all of them had, you know, they were, they were, trying to come to grips with some sort of an encounter with the numinous, with, with something that they couldn't fathom, they didn't have words for. 
and you know they explore comic books. It's a really really cool book. It's pretty fascinating. A- yeah, I don't have any ex- personal experience with comic books at all, but I would still find that very interesting to read, especially yeah, because it-, it explains you know the inspiration or someone's background and why they wrote things. Out. Uh, that sounds very interesting. Let, let me give you a couple of, of recommendations instead of maybe reading the comic books. Um, you know, a couple of good comic book movies. V is Vendetta. Yeah, mm-hmm. seen that one. That's okay. A, okay. Isn't that what Wachowski Brothers? Oh, I don't know who made the film, but it's now one more. Um... I, th- I think the Wachowski Brothers, same as the Matrix. I think they okay. have. Well, they may have been like involved in production or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But anyways, those those two are, are um, you know, check them out. Or if you can find it, and, and I think... So what was the one, V for Vendetta, and then what's the other? Oh, another movie? Oh, man. Uh, well, The Watchmen. Oh, The Watchmen. Yeah. Okay, that's what I, I see. Yeah, and then they did another one. Um, 300 is, is kind of based on the Alan Moore comic book about the, the Gates of Thermopylae. Okay, this is and all new to me. I might be something I... Do you know the movie 300? No, no. Dude... <laughs> I mean, I, of course, I've heard of it because it's been a meme on the internet since it came out. But well, you know, it plays on one of those classic themes of you know the few against the hordes, mm-hmm. right? To die in glory, to die doing the right thing, you know. So it's got some some really resonant themes in it, and it's a visually striking movie, right? Like, it's kind of like The Matrix is, but but I would say even more so. And it really reflects that comic book nature. And then there was one on on Jack the Ripper that that Alan Moore is based on an Alan Moore comic book, but I can't remember the name. But hmm. uh, it has Johnny Depp as the the main character. Oh yeah, yeah, as the the detective. Hmm. And it has um, oh the guy that plays Bilbo in the Fellowship series. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know those. <laughs> See, there's so much I need to experience uh, so I can have a l- greater language. If I, right, if so I had a little have, more broadness, I, I would be smarter. We don't have a common canon, right? Right, right. <laughs> we don't have a common language. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever read any Robert Anton Wilson? Oh. Where should I start? I don't think so. No, I haven't. I was just wondering if you had. I mean, he's one of these... He wrote that book, The Illuminatus, or the whole trilogy, The Illuminatus. He kind of popularized and made it famous. The guy wrote like 25 books in 23 years or something. Oh. So maybe just check out some YouTube videos of him first. Okay. And then see what when he talks about his books, then it'll probably give you an idea of which one you should read. Yeah. Um, There's some good YouTube videos. My favorite one is him trying to get the world to not use the word is. Stop deciding what everything is. The grass is green. This is this. Everything. If you think about it, watch the video. I don't even know what the name of it is. But it's really intriguing to think about that we are so confident. We are so... We know what everything is. Yeah. And if you can change it to, I think the grass is green, it, 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 it frees your mind. To, like for me, that was one of the biggest things that I experienced was when I decided I did not know what I was talking about anymore. I've right. thought I was an expert on many things for many years, especially with involving anything with the church. I, th- I thought I was a freaking biblical scholar for a while. Right, right. 
Ed, but oh, man. Yeah, when, when is, you, you know, realize it, that it's okay to not know. Yeah, and even with something that, that seems empirical like color, right? It's a set of wavelengths, right? But no, it's not, because the way we see it is affected by all, all kinds of things that can be manipulated. Well, did I ever send you that link that they've shown that in yeah. those, pop, those right, indigenous right, populations right. can't see colors? That yeah. just because they don't have a word for it, <laughs> exactly, exactly. They literally can't see the freaking color because they don't have a word. Right. That is it's, bizarre. It's the flip side of the coin of confirmation bias, right? It's it's that you don't see things that your worldview can't yeah. incorporate. Or you know, like one of my favorite games is to play around with um, optical illusions. Yeah, I, I love optical illusions, especially <laughs> the involving color. Yeah, I um. You know, so I'm teaching this class at the the Naval War College, and it's on insurgency and counterinsurgency in Afghanistan and Pakistan, right? But the, the thing that I start the class out with is optical illusions, because I want, oh, I want really? them, yeah, because I, I want them to to get that kind of humility that just because your mind is creating this story based on what you're reading, based on the facts, that doesn't mean that that story is real, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you're, if your eyes can be manipulated, that will make <laughs> so so can your your storyline. So yeah, I'm, I'm I love optical. Yeah, vision. just Google um, what is it called? Gray squares, optical illusion. Okay. It's it's so it's it's a color optical illusion. Okay. It's about these gray squares. It's a checkerboard pattern with a green cylinder on the checkerboard. All right. They'll give you a target square to look at, yeah. and then you have to determine if it's lighter or darker. There's an A square and a B square, and you have to determine which one's lighter and darker. They're the same. (laughs) I just looked it up. I'm staring at it right now, and it's mind-blowing. That's so cool. So what I did was I printed it off on a color printer, and I cut the squares out. I made two versions of it. And one, I actually just cut the squares out so you can pick them up and hold them in your hand. Mm-hmm. And it will blow your mind. Some people will refuse to acknowledge it. Have you ever seen this where people kind of refuse to oh, yeah. accept yeah. something? Oh, yeah. They, yeah, they'll yeah. Just, they don't even want their mind to go there, so they just ignore you. But I think it's the coolest thing ever to see with your eyes. And a friend of mine didn't believe me. He thought I was playing a trick on him when I cut the pieces out. So mm-hmm. he opened up the optical illusion, the, the, the JPEG, in Photoshop. Mm-hmm. And he knew how to use Photoshop. And he, put a, he took a sample of the one square and a sample of the other square. And he showed me that digitally they are the exact same color, <laughs> which was cool. He proved, his, he proved my point so for me. How did he so. deal with it? Oh, he was cool with it. And he was cool he, he just it. wanted to see empirical evidence. Oh, okay. Yeah. Which is awesome. So check out that. Uh, optical well, gray squares. That's yeah, one of my it's favorites. Am- it's amazing the the links that we'll go to to you know to uh, to ignore contrary evidence, right? Sure. I was reading a story in in that great uh, periodical Reader's Digest <laughs> <laughs> about how there are hikers who, when they've been lost, they were so convinced of where they were that they would they convince themselves that the water was flowing uphill yeah mm-hmm. and you know i've 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 been there right and it does it creates like you were saying it creates a sense of humility and and here's my point as a as you know kind of a theologian theologian is that 
if we have a hard time with this stuff that I can knock on, right? Mm-hmm. How much harder a time with the stuff that's that's numinous, right? That's um, that affects us, you know, usually indirectly um, through mechanisms that aren't as trustworthy, like things like uh, feelings and you know whatever dreams, yeah, these intangible, right? Yeah, things, yeah, yeah. So you know the the <laughs> I, I am I am the first skeptic. Right. Whenever someone says, "Oh, you know, I had you know this dream, or I had this feeling, or I saw this apparition," you know, I do it gently. Mm-hmm. But you know, the null hypothesis is always, you know, that was just some random firing neurons in your head. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It's good to know that. You know, it kind of it can keep you safe from yeah. becoming a victim. Right. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's how people rob people. That's how people build cults, is pointing out these strange observations and using the language to confuse you, and then you're in trouble. Yeah, and and we really do need these these elders, these healers that we can go to for for true sight, you know, to to keep us on check. I had actually said to Emily earlier, Dr. Deans, that modern medicine's backwards. Uh, She said 98% of her patients come from a doctor and i said the patients should come to you first yeah then you should refer them to a that to a general practitioner yeah yeah and that would cause more healing than the way it is now yeah holistic advisors yeah even if it's a psychiatrist but there's many different levels of psychiatry from what you do to what eastern mystics do to what emily does you know but if that's your first line, your first course of action is to see them, I think you'll be better off. Yeah. Yeah. But we're not set up that way. You know, it's because the insurance isn't set up that way. Right. Uh, it's, it's, it's messed up. If we were going to design it, like if I, if I were going to pay cash for my healing, you know, I would, uh, I would have a holistic person that I trust that I'd go to. Yeah, but, I know. mean, there's a reason that peop- you don't see you don't get good therapy because that's expensive. What they can do is write a script for you, you know? And she told me 20% of America is on, um, I don't know the proper term. I'm sorry, but she told me, but antipsychotic drugs or whatever, Zoloft or whatever those names are. One in five people in the United States, adults is taking one of these drugs currently. 25% of the United, um, Great, well, well over twenty-five. Um, actually, have a mental health incident every year, mm. and it's taboo to discuss. People yeah. take these pills under the cover of darkness or whatever, or joke yeah. about it. Oh, it's awful, and, yeah. and they're and, not and, good for you, right? And and the kind of you know, if they're if they're part of a spiritual community, uh, you know, they're going to sometimes they're going to get incredibly unhelpful. Uh, so-called advice. It's, it's just mm-hmm. really a disservice. Kind of reminds you know, I me. I a number. Yeah, Let me give ahead. you something random here. Yeah. Um, speaking about the medical profession, so so we've we've got you know probably an overprescription of of a lot of different medications and things. And um, I saw it was in the magazine The Week, which is a compilation, kind of like a political Reader's Digest, and it had an. Uh, a thing where it said that nine out of ten Americans have that 
chemical in their urine from BPA. Oh. Right, the one that, that the, messes up yeah, our home. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Wow. You know, because a lot of the stuff that, that we deal with, you know, from, from uh, mental challenges to obesity, they're, they're hormonal. You know, it's, it's not yeah. caloric. Yeah, it's, it's a mess. Man. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was, it kind of reminded me of both everyone popping these pills for mental health. Um, when you find out, they show the imagery of the 1950s homemaker the thin waist and they're wearing mm. the dress in the house, you know, and looking perfect or whatever. They were, um, popping amphetamines like oh. mad oh, my goodness! And to maintain that figure and that whimsical disposition so that they'd have the smile on their face when the husband came home <laughs> it was based on it's am- amphetamines. And that's oh. how they maintain those figures. Oh even if they were false, even if it was just that they were using it as a mechanism to try and look like the woman in, in the magazine. I'm not yeah. saying that it worked. It, 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 that's what they were using. Wow. And they were all popped, hopped up on these. Huh. Basically the same thing as meth, but, you know, methamphetamine. It, it's, they were meth addicts, basically. Wow. So, so what analogy would you draw for us now? Well... Kamikaze pilots were high on meth. That's how they got them to do their bidding. So, I don't know. I'm not sure where we're at with that now, but I guess we're all a bunch of dive bombers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Just, you know, my big thing now is that I keep using the word vampiric. Mm -hmm. Uh, Corporations are vampiric. There's vampires in our lives. I say words like that. I don't believe in vampires. You know what no, I mean? But no, but we understand the metaphor. So yeah, we yeah. These are so <laughs> it's it's crazy and, and these vampiric entities are pitting low income, middle income Americans against each other. it's it's just crazy the manipulation that goes on, so Yeah, but but soon we're all gonna have, you know, we're all going to have wires in our heads and we'll all be happy. And Yeah. Oh, boy. I'm not sure where the technology is going to take us. So it's going to be an interesting ride. Well, you know, well, we have a couple of two, two main trends, right? We're, we're a consumer society that, that really is into, you know, kind of a super well, – will, is willing to accept a superficial product like for happiness. And, you know, we've, we've got a powers that be that – have an interest in keeping us docile. So, mm-hmm. if you had changed the subject a little bit again, you, I had a guy on Andrew Badnock. He's Arctic Wildness. It's called. He went on an exploration up in yeah, the Arctic. Yeah, did he make it? No. He well, he went and came back, and he's. I think he's back. I, I don't talk to him uh-huh. regularly. Okay. Yeah, but, but I he, remember he's show. he's heavy blogging and tweeting right now, and he's working on some stuff. I think. Mm-hmm. Because I think he was, his mind was opened up a bit out there. And he's actually, I've just seen a few little things that he's written. But he was kind of, I think, profoundly changed um, out there. And he's actually proposing the idea of an intentional paleo community. Uh, Literally like a a preserve, a, a natural setting of something mimicking a paleo hunter-gatherer tribe 
Yeah, and then then there'll be there'll be one church there that allows sweet potatoes, and the other one doesn't. And, and they'll all argue and throw things at each other, and someone will end up getting killed. <laughs> but and then you'll have the cannibalist, non-cannibalist. Pal- I actually <laughs> said someone will get eaten if they do this. <laughs> I don't think it's possible. I just thought it was an interesting and fun that is idea to get. I mean, if you want to get away from corporatism, well, there's your opportunity, but I hold out no hope for that being a success. Well, and America is a place where that kind of um, initiative is, has been, has, people have gone for it, right? So upstate New York, I think I talked about it last time, the burnt over district, you know, so it's full of these utopian communities based on whatever, yeah. but they don't last. You know, uh, maybe a second generation if the socialization is set up right, but by third generation, eh. mm, Joseph Smith did good. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's a good point. Is it a problem for you to have, say, if you had a Mormon president? Does that present any no. problems for you? None at all. None? Okay. No. No, my, uh, I, I've got other problems with government, you know? Sure, of course. <laughs> yeah, those are, those are a much larger problem. But no, I have no problem with, with that. I, no. That's I mean, because the, you're the, not the, a fundamentalist. You know, you're not as fun. You don't get riled up and angry and start uh, breathing fire. Uh, Uh, you were never mean to me right (laughs) right right (laughs) or you've never attacked my family that's 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 those are the things that'll get me going i think it's kind of funny that we uh the two of us have kind of come together from uh, very different perspectives in some ways and yet i don't know i sure love you i i I know there's a resonance yeah it's great yeah, and it, hopefully it witnesses, you know, there's something that, that we're witnessing through our friendship to people. And I don't mean, you know, witnessing like like the, the CSA farmers were trying to yeah, do it. Yeah, right? right. I mean, that there's And if there's they had done it the way you're doing it, I'd probably be over at their house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, you know, the, the community here, you know, I've been here five years, and it's... You know, it's it's recovering and it's starting to grow, and there's there's an energy, but you know, it's it's not it's definitely not me. It's just showing people that you know, being good is uh, you know, it's it's the way to be, right? I mean, if you're if you're friendly, if you're honest, and you know, you care about people then the world changes. It's a better world to live in. (laughs) Also, removing guilt. Removing... Yeah, just removing guilt from people. Letting people know that where you are in your station in life, this very minute, is it's okay. Um, It's not that you didn't meet your ideals or that you let... America down or your wife or anybody it's 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 irrelevant at this point and that just lifting the weight off of people who are hurting I think is is enough yeah the healing metaphor I mean the church is a hospital you know it's not a courtroom (laughs) right and you know so we have to treat it like that I love that oh man you were you were going on a rant um uh in the middle interview about the the ancestral health symposium Mm -hmm. where you were saying, look, of course we don't want just people who look perfect. (laughs) This is a way to heal people. Bring me your sick. (laughs) I think I actually said bring me your sick. I shouldn't have said that. That's awesome, man. (laughs) Exactly. 
but of it's true. I mean, see people who messed up in a church. <laughs> what, what do you expect? Yeah. <laughs> Perfect people don't need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And the problem is, it's hard to sell the ugly and the sick as your poster children. They're great <laughs> for testimonials, but not yeah. good faces for your product, you know? Right, yeah. And there's a book uh, C.S. Lewis wrote called Screw Tape Letters. And this is the way, one of the ways, which is a, a demon trying, it's, it's a conversation between a, a senior demon and a lesser <laughs> demon on how to tempt people. Right? Okay. And, and so one of the pieces was advi- of advice was, look, if, if, if the guy that you're in charge of shows up at a church, make sure you, you, you turn his attention to you know, the broken people around him <laughs> who are obviously hypocrites, right? Because you know, they're, they're sinners, and there they are pretending they're, they're you know, right. church. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. I actually, I think I have a copy of that. Yeah, it's it's good. You know, I I had taught. Um, it was my first time teaching a seminary, and and they asked me to teach a class on on spirituality. And so I I assigned all these highfalutin books, you know, big words, and you know, kind of academic. And you know, for for the people who had studied at the at the graduate level, it was great. But for the others, they weren't getting it. So I had taken sure. this thing that's so easy. It just made it impossible. So <laughs> I, I handed out that book. I said, "Look, this this guy explains it better than than these PhDs do." So, and somebody read it, and they were like, "Oh, that's what you know, <laughs> this this spiritual warfare is." Uh-huh. You know, literal, literal. You know, there aren't really you know bureaucracies of demons doing this kind of stuff. Right, right. But it's really kind of an entertaining way to do it. Hmm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, my recommendation then for you is to check out um, Professor Drought's lecture on uh, rhetoric. Okay. Oh, I, man, it's good. It's, it's so good. Drought on D-R-O-U-T. <laughs> Don't get it at Audible. It's like $60. You're going to have to try to find it somewhere. Somehow, maybe the library or something. Okay. Yeah, it's literally... It, the, it's lecture. the lectures on Audible are out of sight on pricing. Yeah. But if you remember, you know, when you get that for 15 bucks, you get one credit. Everybody can... should join and they should join. How do they join, Brian? <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> that's funny. No, no but that's... seriously, you know, because then you can get it like for 15 bucks. And that, that's reasonable. But I don't know a good way to get audiobooks cheaper, though. I'd let no. people know. Just the library. Yeah, that's, that's what I do. I, I get the um, and rip them at home. Yeah, and then you can take YouTube videos and you can convert them to MP3. Yeah, that's cool too. But there, um, yeah, there's but so the, many podcasting things out there. I, I'm I've pretty much given up on podcasts. I've got fifty yeah. of them, and I don't listen to any of them hardly anymore. Oh, is that right? None of them are interesting to me right now. Yeah. So I've got about four that I listen to religiously. So I mean, I love listening. You're a great conversationalist. I love hearing you talk to people from. You know, policemen to to whatever, <laughs> and um, and then uh, the bulletproof executive. Although that one, I can see. You know, okay, check, got it, right? Yeah, that's part of the problem with him. Yeah, been there, yeah, okay. heard it. I know. Got it. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Okay, coffee with butter. Yep. Okay. Okay. Next. Yep. <laughs> Low toxin diet. Feed your mitochondria. Check. Thirty but, times. But- check. 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 <laughs> But that's one of the attractions of, of, of your show, in my opinion, is that it's um, it's not just informational. It's also um, kind of personal. 
right? I mean, it's a, it's a conversation between you, who I find interesting and, and you know, I, I like, and then whoever you're talking to. <laughs> it's, it's just cool. No, that's, um, it, that's really nice. I mean, Thanks. I, I wish it was better, you know? Um, it, it's really hard. You can't imagine. It, it is extremely difficult for me. Yeah. Sometimes I can hardly bring myself to make the Skype call. Yeah. I, I get almost physically ill. It's an introvert, man. And I just don't even want to do it. And yeah, but I do it anyways. And so much more natural. Like compare the first time that you interviewed Sandor Katz to the second time. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's huge. Is it? And both of them, the content was good. But the second one, I mean, you're you're just so much more natural. Oh yeah, but let me tell you, he's one of the most difficult people I've ever talked to. <laughs> Easily. <laughs> well, you managed that very well the second time. Okay, well, good because that first one was a horrific experience. I was so upset with myself, but it was my third podcast. <laughs> I'm I'm with you from the beginning, man. That's so funny. There's like two of you now that are like full timers. You and Lindsay Stark. And man, I one day I'm gonna meet Maurice. And I just can't wait till that day. Yeah. Really- it's gonna be a happy day. Trust me. Yeah. He'll he'll put a smile on your face ear to ear. He does just thinking about him. Yeah, I mean and you'll buy it. Hook, line, and sinker as soon as you see him do his work. You're yeah. you're just gonna march and step right behind him. It it it's magic. Wow. Yep, it's all about the worms. All of a sudden, you know, you could just <laughs> drop the gloves, stop the fighting, feed the Love. worms. <laughs> hey, I'm going to be, um, Lord willing, I'll be in uh, the Cleveland area. What? Yeah, next summer. Awesome. Oh, so, you know, keep the end of, oh goodness, I'm going to get my months right. Yeah, the end of July. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I haven't gone anywhere I'm- in two years, so. What's that? Not, what's that? I haven't gone anywhere in two years. I'm not going anywhere. Moved. Well, I mean, I've been here and I haven't moved since. Okay. But, you, but you're living in a different place now, right? Oh, yeah, that's true. I moved one block away. Block. Oh, is that right? <laughs> so did, my big question with that is, did you, who has the dirt from Maurice's house? Your old house or your new house? Oh, the new house. Okay. I, yeah. I only have a little bit here. I, I didn't bring much. Um, I gave it all away. Oh, good for My you. sister on one county, both my uncles, my mom. Oh, yeah. It went all over. Four different counties that soil's in. Awesome. Yeah. And that that's so cool. That's, that's <laughs> So it's just like, you know, it's like Johnny Appleseed, right? <laughs> yep. More dirt. <laughs> Johnny Appleseed. Well, look, I got to run. I got a early, early morning. We, we're doing our festival tomorrow. So, this remember the trade-offs we were talking about earlier? Yeah. So, both of us love authentic, you know, traditional food, right? Right. But, you know, for you, not just the kombucha or what the, the mushroom tea, the mm-hmm. grivni chai, and it's not just the, the kvass and stuff like that. It's also the, the potato dumplings. Yeah, right. <laughs> the potatoes aren't to be feared. They're not... Um, no. very toxic, right? But boy, they can hit your belly pretty hard. <laughs> Other carb bombs. <laughs> yeah. Uh, everything in moderation. Go for it. Have fun. It. Spread I, the good word. I will. I will. 
And uh, again, always enjoy talking with you. My pleasure. To me, it's therapy. So, good. <laughs> your your conver- these calls I do with you are a whole different ballgame. These good. are, yeah. I thank you for yes. even doing this with me. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Right. I'll talk Until to you next. soon. Okay. All right. Good night.